What's up, guys? Welcome to episode eight of Believe in Queens. I'm Joe Serralo. That's my man, Tyler Ward. And this is the biggest episode yet. We've been promising you for seven episodes now that a former New York Met would be joining the show as our third co-host shortly. Well, he's here. We've got so much to get to. We're going to be recapping the Padres series from the weekend, deep diving the Subway series that's upcoming, trade deadline talks that may land Trey Mancini in New York, and to join us to talk about it all with us, the man of the hour, Anthony Recker. Anthony, Anthony, you there, my man? I'm here, guys. How you doing? It is great to have you. Fantastic. How are you doing, man? We're doing amazing right now. I'm doing I'm doing well. It's good to be on. I got uh, my kids in bed. I'm ready to go. Let's get great. this done. Let's have some fun here. Here we go. Love it. Love it, man. Hey, look, before we start, we're going to dive into the weekend series from the San Diego Padres, obviously, before getting to the Subway series. But I do want to remind everyone out there watching, everyone listening, that this show is brought to you by our partners at BetOnline. Head over to BetOnline.ag for the latest development, odds, lines, and news in sports. And for that 50% welcome bonus that you all want, that you all love, just type in the promo code BELIEVE50. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BELIEVE50 for your 50% welcome bonus and get betting on baseball, football futures, you name it, you can bet it at BetOnline. Let the games begin. Anthony, it was a big, highly anticipated weekend in Queens coming out of the All-Star break. Not everything went as planned. It took a while for the bats to wake up, but when they did, they did so in a big way. What's your biggest takeaway from the weekend series? Yeah, I think, look, when you talk about what's been going on in New York lately, specifically in this division, people are getting a little bit panicked about the fact that there's a team coming up you know they, they look like they're starting to catch the Mets they're right behind them the Atlanta Braves last year's World, World Series champions obviously uh I think the biggest takeaway for me is you're going to go through ebbs and flows as, in a season I'm you know as an ex-player we never like to get too high or too low we like to ride the same uh wavelength as long as we could and realistically this team has done a very good job of putting themselves in a situation where they're going to they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be a playoff team. So at the end of the day, whether they win the division or they are the wild card team, either way, it doesn't really matter. Yes, you wanted to win the division. Yes, as a player, I want to go out there. I want to take my division. I want that bye week or or you know to be able to control who I'm playing in the playoffs, whatever it is. But realistically, it's all about getting in and being hot and healthy when you get there. That's the most important thing. And, you know, just from this past weekend, I think there's some things to talk about, you know, from a team perspective that uh, it looks like they could probably use another bullpen arm or two. You know, I, I thought trading away Colin Holderman was interesting, um, you know, and, and we saw that with Drew Smith. He hasn't quite been the same over the last couple of months as he was early in the year. We've seen him dominate at times, and I love the guy. I love his stuff. But maybe he's not quite ready for a consistent role in the back end. Trevor May's coming back. Big piece. That's good. Um, you know, and the offense seems a little bit too reliant on Pete Alonzo. Huge opportunity in the fifth inning. Joe Musgrove shuts it down. They get nothing. Second and third, no outs. They get nothing. Of course, Pete gets the same situation the next inning. He comes through with the big home run. They end up winning the game. That's huge. Um, but it can be a little bit too reliant on, on, on him. He, 27% of their home runs, 26.9% of their home runs are coming from Pete Alonzo. That's a lot. That's a, they, they need a little more thump in that lineup. They need some guys who can do some damage with one swing of the bat. Um, but realistically, like I said, this is a playoff team. 
And they've got a few more days here, trade deadlines coming, to get it right. Yeah, and Rec, you know, there's a lot of stuff there I want to bounce off of. But Tyler, I think this is the longest I've ever gone without hearing you speak. We're four <laughs> minutes into the episode now. I haven't heard your voice yet. So for you, man, biggest weekend takeaway before I get back to Rec. Oh, well, biggest weekend takeaway. Uh, before I do that, I just have to say pu how pumped up I am to have Anthony here. You know, this has been a long await announcement, so we can't wait to get this thing rolling that we are right now and to see what the future is going to hold for us. But I just came back from vacation, so I was working on content, watching the Mets all weekend long while out of town. Had a whole setup on a ping pong table because we just got to do that. We got to make the work happen. I watched the Mets here losing two of these three games. And my biggest takeaway is a couple simple things. It's one, the starting pitching stays rock solid. For the past month of baseball, the Mets starters have been among the best in all of baseball, not just the NL. So I'm appreciating that wholeheartedly. What I'm not appreciating, however, is the lack of consistent offense that we're continuing to see with this Mets team. So I don't know how much drive Billy Epler in the Mets front office needs to make moves. We saw that with Daniel Vogelback. I like that move. I really like Colin Holderman as well. I know we really haven't deep dived this. We talked about it prior to the trade, Joe. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Vogelback brings as that righty killer down the stretch. Of course, went one for three with the run scored and the walk in his first game as a New York Met. But outside of that, in those first two games, it was anemic. The fact that, er Joe, you literally jinxed er Eric Hosmer, the Bees <laughs> 2015 Royal Self again, to come out the way that he did. He had a massive series for the Padres. And again, the Mets were just anemic. When I look at this series, when you're 5 for 25 of runners in scoring position, yes, you broke out with eight runs, and yes, you jumped on Joe Musgrove, which was massive. I was so happy because out of those three games, that was the game that I was honestly expecting the Mets to lose if they were going to lose any. That was the one pinpoint. Musgrove, even when I'm struggling a little bit lately off the COVID list, I'm still not loving the Mets' chances there as I do against, say, Blake Snell among others. So for them to jump on was huge. But again, 5 or 25, you need to be better. You can't be relying on Alonzo, as Anthony has said here, and with great pitching and just, again, continued struggles with the bullpen. I don't know how much of a leash we're going to be giving Joely Rodriguez. You know, we talked a couple episodes, Joe, about Chase and Shreve and what his impact would be on the Mets. And we talked about him being DFA'd. Lo and behold, a couple of days later, he was DFA'd from the Mets bullpen because he just wasn't getting lefties out. Joely heading into the year, what was his biggest gripe? It was his walk rate. Same thing as Adovino. However, Adovino was able to combat that walk rate this year. Joely's the complete opposite. And now I simply don't understand how you can justify having this bullpen going forward. The Mets are going to address there. We'll deep dive it later in the show. And yeah, just you need to add more bats to this offense. It was a big salvaging the series with that win 8-5 yesterday, but it came in a heart attack fashion. Edwin should not by any stretch have to come in that game. So to see him do that, that was a little bit worrisome for me. The Mets, they're going to get better. I know they are. I know the Braves have been nipping out of the heels. But let's just take a moment to still appreciate how well the Mets have been all this year, all things considered. And just also appreciate that, yeah, the Braves have been rolling. But thankfully, even when they have matched up, and we'll see what that nine-game stretch is down the stretch here in August, the Mets did win two or three last time they matched up. So I like the odds of the Mets doing well against teams in the Annalise. But outside of the Annalise, things definitely need to be better. So going back to you, Joe. Yeah, so T, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the bullpen there. And Anthony, you know, you alluded to it before, and this is what I kind of wanted to bounce off of you. Tyler and I, we agree on a lot when it comes to the Mets, when it comes to this show. And one thing that we are on polar opposite ends of right now is that Daniel Vogelback trade. You know, when you mentioned Joely Rodriguez and his struggles this year, and overall just the bullpen's struggles, right? This is a team that a month ago, we were talking about Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas. We don't need starting pitching. We need bullpen help. And I thought that Colin Holderman, when you mentioned the struggles of Drew Smith, obviously we've seen the struggles of Seth Lugo. I thought Colin Holderman had been one of our top four most reliable relievers. 
this year. So maybe there's bias there. Maybe that's the former pitcher in me. As a former catcher yourself, I mean, what kind of stuff did you see in Holderman that, you know, maybe excited you for the future and left you a little baffled as to why the Mets would give him away? Yeah, look, I don't want to say baffled because I do respect Vogelbach's game. I love what he brings to the table, particularly against right-handed pitching, which you're going to see more of naturally uh, in the big leagues and in anywhere when you're playing baseball. So I love the addition of him, but the cost seemed steep. It seemed like if you're going to give something up, I know they don't want to give up prospects. They don't want to give up those guys coming up, but you didn't need a big name to land Daniel Vogelbach. That's why Colin Holderman was what you gave up. He wasn't a big, sexy name, a big prospect, but I like what I saw from him. I, I liked where things were going with him. I liked the fact that it seemed like Buck was starting to trust him more and more in bigger situations, giving him opportunities to really shine. And I, I think what, what we're seeing is, look, the Mets front office just kind of weighing things out and saying, there are going to be arms out there that we can go and acquire one way or another. There's going to be bullpen arms. There's going to be starters. And realistically, the way this team is set up, if they can get DeGrom back and healthy, Scherzer stays healthy, Tyler McGill comes back and he's healthy, you start to move some of the pieces that are in the rotation right now. Maybe it's Taiwan Walker. Maybe it's David Peterson. Maybe it's they're going to have arms available that they can put in the bullpen when push comes to shove in the playoffs. And I think that's a big key that people forget about sometimes. Now, that said, they still need an arm back there. And they're going to need one probably now that they did get rid of Holderman. Realistically, I think what they said was, we like Holderman. We love his stuff. But we need a bat right now. We need this guy. We're going to pair him up with, say, uh, J.D. Davis, who hits left-handed hit, uh, pitching very well at least in his career so far. So we pair those two up as like a DH hybrid type role. We see what happens there. And then we go out and get an arm or two. Maybe we still make room for a bat. The the thing with Vogelbach and being such a, you know, he's realistically just a, he's not really going to play first base at all, right? They're not going to put him out there. Either Pete's going to be out there or maybe when Dom comes back, I don't know what his role is. Maybe he's one of the pieces that ends up getting traded. We'll see what happens there. Um, but he's kind of a, a, a roster spot for a part-time DH, right? Vogelbach is, that's a tough pill to swallow unless he's going to come through for you. But I have, I have full faith in him. I played against him enough. I got to see him a lot on the baseball field. This guy can hit, man. He's really good. Got a great approach. Uh, and he's a super awesome clubhouse guy. Guys on the team are going to love him. They're going to gel. He's going to want to be a part of what they have going on there. Loves to win. He's intense when it comes to the game, but he has a lot of fun while he's playing and in the clubhouse. He's going to be a good addition. So it's one of those balance things. you got to figure out, okay, what did we need? Did we make, you know, did we give up too much? I wouldn't say they gave up too much. It just, it hurts because they gave up essentially what is, was kind of thought of as an area of need for them. Like I said, they're planning on everyone getting healthy. And if everyone gets healthy, they're going to have extra arms that they're going to be able to move to that bullpen. Whether it's Tyler McGill as a starter or a reliever, David Peterson as a starter or a reliever. I said Taiwan Walker only because, look, before last year, he threw about 140 innings last year. Before that, he had gone like two years without pitching, really. So I don't know if they trust him to go 180 innings this year plus playoffs. You know what I mean? Maybe they put him in the bullpen. So there's room for them to wiggle around like that. And I think that's 
really what it comes down to is they they know they have arms. They're still going to have to go and get one, a nice back-end piece, an eighth-inning type guy, because Adovino's not that guy to me. And unless May shows consistency that he hasn't shown in his Mets career yet, he might not be that guy. So we'll see what they go and do. But they've got the arms that they'll need to at least carry the innings for the rest of the season into the postseason. John. You know, Anthony, I'm curious. Tyler, you, you heard what he said, right? Yes. I hope, I hope and, you're going to come out with I'm glad that he said it because I'm not the only one that feels this way. You said, Anthony, that you don't believe Adovino is that guy in the eighth. And I'm glad that you said that because you're not the only one. I feel the exact same way. I love Adam, mm-hmm. Adam Adovino. I think he's been one of the small bright spots and was rather been a, um, you know, unreliable bullpen at times this year for the Mets. But what has Adovino unfortunately been known for in his career, especially the past couple of years with Boston and with the Yanks? It's really not stepping up in those big moments down the stretch in playoff time. And he's a guy that I don't love the idea of him in a high leverage situation. So that's why as we get to trade talk later in the show, that's why I think it's so important for the Mets to have that bona fide setup guy. Put Adam in the seventh. I think that's just going to be best fit for him right now and what the Mets are looking for. We've already seen kind of flashes of it this year where Adovino just hasn't been able to handle things without giving up a bomb or two, even if it wasn't a bad pitch. It's just something that I've been wary of. I knew that when he came into the Mets in the offseason. I'm glad that you're on the same wavelength as me. And Joe, do you feel the same or do you feel different? You know, I'm actually probably the most comfortable out of everyone here with Adovino in the eighth inning. But obviously, you know, if we go out and get, let's just mention the name now, we'll get to him later in the show, David Robertson, that's his role. And we've seen him this year with the Cubs. He's been lights out. We've seen a major resurgence. Him and Adovino, both going to be 38 when the playoffs roll around. And, you know, they're both having years that are up there among the best of their career. So Robertson would obviously assume the eighth inning role, but it's nice to have versatility. And I, I do have to be honest, I trust Adovino. You know, if Robertson went the night before, I trust Adovino in the eighth if need be. But Anthony, the the thing that you said that left me wondering, wow, has this guy been watching all seven episodes prior to this? You mentioned Tyler McGill in the bullpen. And when Tyler and I, you know, we've been talking trade stuff for the better part of the month of July. Whenever we talk about acquisitions, I've mentioned that one of the best acquisitions this team is going to have is McGill as a reliever. This is a guy who, when he comes back from injury, you know, he mentioned that as a starter, maybe he needs to dial it down a notch, take the Verlander approach, you know, save yeah. save some velo for later innings. But I think McGill coming out of the bullpen in the 6th, 7th, 8th, whenever you need him in October, I think this is a guy who's going to be intimidating as hell, pumping 100, and a major asset to this team. I was mentioning it to Tyler, I think, last episode. David Peterson's our lefty reliever because Shreve and Rodriguez didn't pan out. You know, McGill is going to be a back-end, late-inning guy, I think, in October. And I, I trust those guys. What do you think about, you know, you've, play, you've played on, for example, the 2015 team where, you know, you see starters assume that role. And, you know, we saw Syndergaard, I believe, in the NLDS against the Dodgers come out of the pen, and he was throwing like 102. What do you think about starters when they have to come out of the pen in October and that little extra juice they have? Yeah, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen relievers try to start, and I think that's just – Awful, unless they're going out and doing the opener thing, one inning, two innings. But if they try to go more than that, it's, it just never seems to work out, especially when they try to stretch them out midseason. But starters I've seen become relievers, and I've seen it be extremely successful right out of the gate. I've seen it happen in the playoffs. We've all seen it happen in the playoffs. And and they can have that immediate, immediate success because realistically, they don't have to pitch different. They just allow that adrenaline to take over of the immediacy, the the intensity of the situation that they're coming into. And all of a sudden, like you said, they get another mile, two miles an hour, three miles an hour on that fastball. I mean, Tyler McGill was – he found velocity this year that he's never had in his career 
Now you put him in the bullpen. That's scary. David Peterson looks like a guy who can dominate at times with that four-seamer, the slider. Uh, he looks like he could really be a, a, a really effective piece. You put him in the bullpen, maybe he's throwing 97 instead of 95. That's really scary from the left side, especially how big that guy is, the angles he can create. So they can create a lot of different matchups, a lot of versatility with the arms that they have. And I, I will say this because I hear you guys talking about seventh-inning guy, eighth-inning guy. To me, I'm not about that anymore. I'm about finding the matchups that work in those innings. So I don't have to have David Robertson in the eighth inning. I just have to have whatever guy, if it's David Peterson, because you got two out of three lefties, I'm going to go ahead and throw that guy in there and see what he can do, especially if the matchup warrants it. If it's Tyler McGill because he has that wipeout slider from the right side, maybe I go with him instead of David Robertson's you know, four-seam up and cutter. Uh, it's just so many different ways you can play with it. And then you've got Edwin Diaz in the back end who's just been completely on lockdown this entire year. And realistically, I mean, the last couple of years, this guy's been yeah. so good. So, um, again, they're in a good position. I think they could still use one more arm basically to get them into the postseason and then specifically for the postseason. Uh, but, yeah, they're in a great position. I love the idea of these guys coming out of the bullpen, and they can be extremely successful right out of the gate going straight to the bullpen. Uh, I'm just going to throw one more example out there for you guys because I have to say this. I caught this guy in 2007 in A. His name was Andrew Bailey. <laughs> he was a starter for the first half of the season. He had a 7-5 seven, seven ERA. It was not going well. They put him in the bullpen to start the second half after the All-Star break. He didn't give up a run in the entire second half. He started the year in the big leagues in 08, and he was rookie of the year that year. That's how quickly a starter can make an adjustment and just dominate right out of the gate. And it was incredible to see him do it. But I, I could see very similar success for some of these guys. Not to say that they'll be relievers forever, but that they do it for this season and then go into next season as starters again. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and I'm glad that you just closed that with going into next year as starters because a lot of, I think, you know, if Jake opts out, the only starter the Mets will have next year of this current group is Scherzer. So Peterson and McGill, you know, regardless of what happens to Jake, I think there's going to be a renegotiated deal there and he'll be back. But you don't know what will happen with Bassett, Cookie, Taiwan, so I think Peterson and McGill this year can really help this team win a ring out of the pen the most, but next year we'll be right back in the rotation. Let's dive into the Subway Series. Tyler, you're going to be at the ballpark, what, Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. What are you looking for in this series? The two matchups are out, Montgomery Walker Tuesday, Mad Max versus Herman on Wednesday. What, what's your biggest, your biggest preview, your biggest X factor going into the series? Yeah, I mean, I got a lot to say about the Subway Series. I'm really excited to see what Anthony's raw thoughts are about Subway Series matchups as a former player as well. So I'm looking forward to that one. But we got game one. You know, it's Monty, who he's 3-2 and two with a 3.24 ERA. However, when looking at his numbers and only three starts against the Mets, this guy has been absolutely abysmal with an over 70 ERA. Let's not forget last year, the Mets touched up on pretty good in last year's Subway Series and only 3.1 A's. He gave up seven runs. I think that was in part because Gary Sanchez couldn't make the catch at home. I'm almost certain that's when Jonathan VR slid in there, if you remember. Um, and then you had five earned runs, you know, so that, that was a big game for the Mets. But then you have a Taiwan Walker who's seven and two with a 2.55. He got touched up a little bit by the Yanks last year in the Subway Series, too. He gave a five earned and only six. But this is a different Taiwan Walker that I feel that we've seen last year. And this will be a big test for him, too, especially post All Star break. We know the story last year was an All Star, but truly had a Jekyll and Hyde season. Really looked like he was struggling 
with getting acclimated with the full season. Something he hasn't dealt with a lot in multiple years thanks to injury. Just hasn't been in that rhythm. So I'm excited to see what Ty can do. But as we get into game two, the game that I'll be attending, you know, we have Domingo Herman, who he only started one game so far this year and got absolutely shelled. He's 0-1 with over 15-year race. Facing Mad Max, unofficial, official, but everyone knows Max is starring. 6-2 with a 2.22-year rate. Max, last time he faced off against the Yanks last year with the Nationals, casually went seven strong, one and run, 14 strikeouts. I know that this is a little bit of a different Yanks team. They're not as big swing and miss as they were last year. But when I look at this matchup, I'm looking at a Yanks team that, again, is coming out of the All-Star break and not playing their best baseball right now. Awfully similar in a lot of ways, in my opinion, to how the Mets are very Pete Alonso heavy. We're seeing that be the case quite a bit with Aaron Judge as well. Look, Judge is having a phenomenal walk here right now. He has roughly 40 bombs array, over 80 RBIs. He is the guy to watch without question. So there's three players for the Yanks, right? I think you got to look at Judge in this one when you have around a 300 average or 1,000 OPS. You just have to make sure that you're getting this guy to strike out on pitches out of the zone. In my personal opinion, I want to know if Anthony feels the same or different or if you should attack him. Standing though, he's been a little low on the average, just around 230, but we all know Giancarlo and City Field is making great things happen. Always a big bopper with right around 24 bombs to 61 RBIs. But the third guy that I have to watch out for the Mets in this matchup, I'm curious to know your thoughts, guys, is Matt Carpenter, right? Matt gets picked up after the season begins. Mets fans were asking me on my YouTube channel if the Mets should even consider Carpenter. I'm like, no, there just isn't room for him. The Mets have bolstered their infield as is with guys like Luis Guillermo and others stepping up. Carp, I don't know if it's the mustache or what, but he gets into the Bronx and he's absolutely murdering it. It's not even funny how good this guy has been, really rejuvenizing his career now with the Yankees. A 323 average, a roughly 1,300 OPS, 14 bombs, 35 RBIs. I mean, I, what's in this guy's drink? I don't know what's going on. All I know is that Carpenter is a threat for the Mets in this one. And offensively for the Mets, I just need to see them be consistent, jump on Herman, especially in game two. He doesn't have any experience this year. Take advantage of that lack of experience like the opposing team did the first team that he faced this year and against Monty I know that the Mets have struggled against Southpaws all year and last year too but they have tacked on on him before I want to see them do it again so just get that consistent offense you know the Yanks bullpen is in disarray right now Rose Chapman can't control the strike zone sounds like a day that ends with why at times then you have of course their latest injuries to Michael Kane, which is really unfortunate for them so they're going to be looking to be buyers of the deadline for the bullpen too but yeah just be consistent with your offense don't give Aaron Judge pitches to hit and hopefully that'll lead you to a successful Subway Series victory. Yeah, Rec, going off that, man, I mean, obviously Tyler mentioned the three guys he's looking out for. Two of them are the usual suspects. So what I wanted to get into with you here, the Mets have been running out, or are running out, rather, the guys who have been their best pitchers so far this year. Walker, Max, how do you approach? You, as a catcher, right? Judge steps into the box. How are you setting up? How are you approaching that? I mean, what are you calling for here? We all know he struggles low. We all know, you know, sliders sometimes have been for both him and Stanton. Those late-breaking, low-and-away sliders have been their kryptonite. I mean, what are you doing with this lineup that's just got masher after masher to really attack these guys? Yeah, I mean, look, when you're talking about facing guys, I, I like to break guys, guys down, whether they're facing righties or lefties. When you're talking about Judge, I actually did a, a fun breakdown with him on MLB Central this morning. But um, realistically, the only he's slugging. He's got the best slugging percentage in all of baseball on fastballs. He has the best slugging percentage in all of baseball on breaking balls. He has the sixth worst slugging percentage in the AL on off-speed pitches. So change-up, splitties, that kind of thing. Well, Taiwan Walker happens to feature a splitty, and Mad Max is not afraid to throw a change-up right on right. So yeah. that would be something that's in the back of my mind. I'm not going to go into the at-bat and throw them all change-ups or all splitties. That's just silly. 
you're not going to get this guy out like that. He's going to take it. He's going to end up walking. Matt Carpenter might do damage. Anthony Rizzo might do damage. Giancarlo Stanton might do damage. So you're not trying to put this guy on base. At the same time, you're going to pick your spots. Like you're you're going to know when it's okay to go after him and when it's okay to see if he chases and if not, take your base, Aaron. We're good. We don't need to. We don't need to be messing around with this. The way I would approach it, and I'm thinking about this as a catcher, right on right. Uh, with either of these guys, because they both have good fastballs, I'm not going to come out and just challenge him with a fastball, especially anything close to him. You really want to hammer that down and away zone. That's pretty much the one spot you can get him. Late in the count, you can go up and away with a four-seamer, but if you miss over the plate, he'll get you. The problem with going down and away with that slider, and this is the thing that I, I really harped on this morning in MLB Central, he has done such a good job this year specifically. His swing rate... His swing rates are the absolute lowest out of the zone, up and away, down and away, and down and in. He swings it up and in because he mashes it, and he's hitting homers there. So you go down and away. He doesn't typically swing at it even if you miss. It's 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 like 19% swing rate out of the zone, down and away. That's not very high, especially in the league right now. Then you go to that down and away zone, even in the zone, down and away, that nine, that uh, the nine quadrants, if you want to think about it, or nine, nine zones, if you want to think about it that way. He only swings there 50% of the time, which is his lowest of all the pitches in the strike zone. So even if you spot up a couple of times there, okay, you're ahead. Oh, two. Great. If you're going to hit that spot three times, good for you. That's really hard to do. Even if you're Max Scherzer, even if you're Taiwan Walker and you make a mistake with that slider, that thing comes back over the plate. Judge is killing you this year. And that's part of the problem right now in pitching to him. So you got to mix it up. You got to be able to throw the fastball. Up and away, out of the zone. He's not going to swing at it probably just to change his eye level, just to see something. But you got to get him thinking and moving around. You got to come in and make him uncomfortable, like in, in. You have to get in there. If you leave it three inches off the plate in and it's middle to up, he can get to that right now. He's going to do damage on it. And that's scary to even think about. So you got to get in, in there. And then, yeah, you want to hammer that down in the way zone, however you can, whether it's sinkers coming back with Taiwan Walker, whether it's four seamers down and away, four seams up and away out of the zone. Uh, you can go with the slider down and out of the zone, but you got to get it there. And then, like I said, I'm going to keep that change up in that splitter and I'm going to try to use it, especially in big situations. Whenever I can use it where I need to go after him, there's two runners on first and second. There's not an open base. And I don't really want to walk him and put the, you know, load the bases for Matt Carpenter who's behind him or something like that. Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. And I, it's, you got to play that game. You got to make sure that no matter what you do, you're, you're going to the situation. You go, this guy cannot be the one to beat us. The problem is, and this is, I said it a couple of times. If they, and I love that Tyler mentioned him. If they put Matt Carpenter behind him. The way he's swinging the bat right now, I thought, you know, after the first couple of weeks, he had seven home runs. I'm like, <laughs> right. oh, good for you, Matt. You got off to a good start. You're about to come back down to earth. No, he has continued it. It's incredible the run he's on right now. I don't know. You don't see things like that very often. You know, you think of Kyle Schwarber last year when he went on this incredible home run, you know, race. But but Carpenter's even, he's hitting 333. I mean, it's, it's incredible. He's hitting the ball over the yard and he's driving it almost every time. So, you don't want to face him either. It's going to be tough for them to navigate that. But realistically, like you said, they have their best two arms right now on the mound. And so I give them the best opportunity to do that, especially, like I said, Walker likes to use a splitty. Go ahead and use it. See what you can do. If you can get him to chase, if you can get him to hit a weak ground ball, and then Scherzer, he's not afraid to go to that right-on-right changeup. He's not afraid to make a mistake. 
if you get him, you get him because he's not going to walk guys. He's not going to put other people on base. And that's really what it comes down to. Make sure you limit DJ LeMayhew getting on base. He's done a great job of it this year. He's taken a ton of walks. Limit him, and that will limit the damage that Judge can do. you got to limit the guys in front of him. You know, I'm really glad that you touched on a little bit ago changing the eye level there because it's mm-hmm. so much different. When you're going up against the slugger, like a Judge who's, what, 6'7", or a Stanton who's, like, 6'5", as opposed to, you know, your old teammate, right, Cespedes, who is, what, 5'10", 5'11"? Yep. Well, yep. When you're dealing with these guys, especially when you're going to be relying heavy on a change, on a split, when you're dealing with these guys, you really have to get them looking high. And, you know, I mean, I don't know about Taiwan's fastball. I mean, it's shown some more life this year than we've seen in the past. But a guy like Max, he's a guy who, just based off of his model of consistency throughout his career, and that he's done it year after year, he's a guy you know is going to go up on Judge and challenge him. And like you said, you know, Max, he's been known throughout his career to give up the long ball every now and then. I mean, we hit a lot off of him in 2015. So mm-hmm. he's not afraid to challenge you, but he's going to go after Judge. And I think that's what enables him, unlike most pitchers, to throw that righty-on-righty changeup because that's a yes. pretty rare thing nowadays. You don't see too much of that. Yeah, you you got to have confidence to throw that pitch because, like I said, it, it's similar to that slider. If a righty makes a mistake with that changeup, it's coming back over the plate. If a lefty does it, and he has struggled mightily against left-on-left, um, left-on-right changeups, mm-hmm. big time. But he's struggled on right-on-right changes too. Um, but if a righty makes a mistake with that changeup, that thing's drifting back over the plate. If a lefty does, typically it's drifting off the plate, no harm, no foul, ball one, ball two, whatever it is. So it's it's a tougher pitch for a righty to throw. You're seeing it happen more in the game because it is something that it's new to righties. I mean, I remember late in my career, you started to see it a little bit more often, and it's only gotten a little bit more and more. Like Sandy Alcantara, you think of a guy like that, throws a lot of change-ups. He'll throw it to right on right. He doesn't care. Lucas Giolito, he'll throw his change-up anytime. Guys like that that have the confidence in it, Max is one of those guys. He'll throw you anything in any count, and that's what makes him so tough. And one of the reasons you got to love catching him, you know, when, you know, when you're back there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know you got to face him, obviously, in 20. 20- now, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you in that lineup uh, second to last day, 2015, when he threw the no-no? I was not. No, was okay. not in the lineup. I didn't play much toward the end of that year because that's when they we had Plawecki and Darno on the roster, so they were they were getting majority of the action. I was not in there for that one. I was in the no-hitter. Uh, was it Stratton with the Giants? Is that who it was? Friend. Yeah, April, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, it was, it was a little bit later. I think it was June or July. I want to say. But okay, yeah, he, you he got us. He got us. He got us. It was it was like right before the trade deadline. It was before we got Cespedes and we went on the big run and everything. And that was a uh, that was a little bit of a wake up call for us. I think that was when we knew we needed a little bit more punch in the lineup. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet, especially considering that guy's been out of the league for a few years now. But so when you look at Max and all the times you faced him in your, you know, throughout your, he was in your division what two years as a Met, fourteen and fifteen. Mm-hmm. I know thirteen. He was mm-hmm. with Detroit. So all the times that you faced him, I mean. And as a catcher, obviously, you know, when you're in the box against the guy, you're kind of seeing things throughout a different light. What about him? I mean, it has to be, obviously, you were a pro, but there still has to be a few guys that are intimidating when you get in there. And when Max is 60 feet, six inches away from you, man, like what's running through your head? To be honest with you, I am I was always the type and I didn't get the opportunity to face those guys as often as I would have liked because I didn't play as much as I would have liked, obviously. But when I did... I, I relished it. Like I loved being in the box when Verlander was on the mound, when Kershaw was on the mound, when Ma- when Max was on the mound, because 
you got to see where you're at. Like, okay, where am I at right now? How am I feeling? Is Am I really feeling it or am I really as good as I think I'm feeling right now? <laughs> uh, I remember in 16, I was a brave at the time, but I got to face Max and I was just, I was feeling great. Like I was just having a really good second half with them. I was feeling really good. And he, he comes on the mound in Washington and he's doing his Max thing. And I, I just was able that day to kind of zone in and, and, I had a good awareness of the strike zone. The umpire was, you know, look, sometimes these umpires, they can take care of you as a catcher or they don't care and they just call whatever. Um, I tell you, Max hit this spot about that far off the corner, I think three or four times in my two at-bats against them. And everyone was called the ball. And literally, I, I don't remember, I don't remember which umpire it was, but he said to me at one point, I got back behind the plate the next inning. And he was like, hey, do can you check on those and just make, I just want to make sure. And I was like, no, 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 I already did. I already went in the video room and checked. They were about an inch or two off. You're good. And he was like, all right, all right. As long as I know that, because he wanted to ring me up, but he wasn't because he, he, there was an inkling in his mind. Okay. That could be off. I could give Max the benefit, but this is my catcher. I'll give him that one. And I ended up putting together really good ABs against him because I was, I was feeling really good at the time. And it was fun. Like it's fun when you're feeling you're in that zone and things are working. The adrenaline kicks up an extra notch when you got a guy like Max out there and uh, it's just a different mentality that you have to have. Some guys have it and some guys don't. I mean, I remember the first time I faced Verlander, he just blew me away. And I was, I just walked back to the dugout going, yeah, I had no shot, guys. No, I'm <laughs> too bad. Like, don't put me in the lineup next time. I don't know. But, you know, it's next year with happen. us and Verlander's doing the same thing to guys. Exactly. And he's the same age as me. He's still doing it. Uh, unbelievable. But, yeah, no, I, I look, it's those guys are the toughest in the game. But you got to love it. You got to relish that as a hitter. So, um, I know, look, the Yankees, they haven't gotten off to the best start in the second half, but when you get the buzz that is the New York, you know, subway series coming, there's just a little bit of extra adrenaline that get, comes in your veins a little bit and they'll be, they'll be ready to go. Trust me. They'll be, those bats are going to be ready. Those guys are going to be locked in. So Walker and Max, they have their work cut out for them, but so do, uh, obviously Montgomery and Herman. So it'll be a good series. Yeah. T I mean, you're going to be there, man. To you, like, I'm not even thinking split. Can we have the pitching edge both games? I want to win, too. What's the biggest thing for the Mets to win, too, here, T? Be before we even get there, Joe, I, I didn't even realize that we're currently recording with Max Scherzer's father because Rec is one for one and three <laughs> at-bats against Scherzer with two walks. This is phenomenal. This is Hey, hey, wait, wait, time out, time out. I'm two for two against him in the minor leagues too. Just oh remember my that. Goodness. Oh, remember three that. for three. Two for two. He did get me out once, once in spring training. He threw me a right on right changeup and I grounded a third. And I was pissed. I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't even thinking about it. Anthony, that just doesn't count. We only go minor league happening. and big league regular season. So Max is calling record daddy, man. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. Um, but yeah, no, that this is phenomenal. But talking Max a little bit more about Wednesday's game. Look, I'm not gonna lie. Definitely one of the factors of me going to this game is the C-Max. I've already seen him a couple times this year, and it still feels surreal seeing him in a Mets uniform. I think regardless on where your stance is, it, it, it's a different change having Steve Cohen, Mets owner, and everything that they've done in a short period of time. So to see Max on the bump, I'm always enjoying that every second of the day on our side. But what I'm looking for for Max, especially in this Wednesday matchup, and the Mets as a whole, look, Scherzer, he's been known with the home run ball. We have seen that. But what has really separated himself from what I've noticed not just with his short time with the Mets, but throughout his career, is that he's always unfazed. You look, for example, in his last start against the Padres, right? He gives up that bomb to Hosmer, but he stays unfazed. Even if he's getting worked every inning, even when you saw Schwarber and Harper have his number throughout the year, it's not stopping him from still going six to seven strong, giving you 
two, three earned runs at most. Like he's just locked in. It does not matter if you get a bomb off of him. Odds are that's probably the only one you're going to get off of him all game long. So I think that's a big key, especially against all these boppers that you see in the Yankees lineup in a scenario where he may give up a home run to a judge, a standing, a carpenter, whoever it may be. Let's see if Max can be able to combat himself the way that he has done all season long and all career long. So that's definitely another X factor that I'll be keeping an eye on in this matchup. Yeah, man. I mean, look, and when you look at what Max has done since he got back from the injured list, I mean, it's not like he's just back and, you know, he's throwing 80 pitches in six innings, which he did his first start back, 11 Ks, by the way. But I, I mean, this guy has dominated, right? He's averaging on this season, full season, 11.8 Ks per nine. Now, if he had enough innings to qualify, he's about 20 short, that would lead the National League by half a strikeout over Corbin Burns. But since he's back, we're talking, Tyler, I think you mentioned it, 14 Ks in his last outing against the Yanks. Yeah, just 13, casually 14. Yeah, yeah. 13.9 Ks per nine since he's back in four starts. Whew. So, you know, I mean, when you look at the Yankees this year, yes, they're not striking out as much. Also, look at who they're facing, right? The Yankees yeah. are not facing top-notch competition. The National League, in my opinion, is way stronger than the American League once you get past those top two of the Yanks and the Astros. A lot of disappointing teams in the AL. Toronto has not lived up to expectations. The AL Central's probably the weakest division in baseball. So, you know, the Yanks are beating up on the bad pitchers. Give them credit. They're beating up on the teams that they're supposed to. But when they went up against the Houston Astros, Christian Javier had 14 Ks against them not too long ago. So I think Max is going to have a great game. I got to be honest. I think the Mets are going to sweep them. Jordan Montgomery, Domingo Herman, both have opponent batting averages when facing the Mets north of 300. That's not good. Herman's ERA is four and a half. I don't have Montgomery's on me, but Tyler, you mentioned we shelled him last year. And when you look at Walker and Scherzer, Walker's opponent average when he faces the Yanks, 227. Now in 110 at-bats, he's given up eight long balls. But Taiwan Walker, his whole career has given up home run balls. This year, not so much. This year, he's got by far the lowest home run rate of his career. So I'm not really worried about those eight deep balls in 110 at-bats. I'm looking more at that 227 opponent average. The fact that when he when Yankees, who he's faced in the past, aren't hitting home runs, they're not really getting base hits. And then with Scherzer, you know, you look at a guy like Stanton, right? 24 at-bats, taking him deep three times. He's also struck out in 12. So I think Max is really going to be on top of his stuff. I mean, Rec, you know, correct me if I'm out of line here, if I sound too biased, but I think things are gearing up for a sweep. No, I, I think you can definitely say that. I think the way that this pitching match, these pitching matchups line up, I would say Montgomery, because the Mets have struggled against lefties this year, even though they've had success against Montgomery in the past, that's the one where you're like, okay, maybe I could see this being a tight game. But you'd like to think that with the state of the Yankees bullpen, look, the Mets aren't in a great position, but I think they're in a better position right now than the Yankees are, at least in their bullpen as it shapes up today. And I think that gives them the edge in that game because even if the, the starters were a toss-up, which I, I like Walker better, uh, but that all being said, I, I do like the, the Mets bullpen better. So, yeah, I mean, I could certainly see this being a sweep. I, I would expect them to go in and be very competitive in the two games, certainly win the second game. Uh, I think if if it's Scherzer versus Domingo Herman, I mean, I, I can't imagine – that anyone is thinking that the Mets aren't winning that game. So realistically, it comes down to that first game. And I would I would definitely give the the, the edge to the Mets because that's where, um, you know, they, they do have an advantage there. Montgomery has not always been great this year. He's been inconsistent at times. And again, like you said, they've hit him well in the past. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing too for me is like the key when you're looking at the Mets for a sweep here, get to the Yankees bullpen. When you look at Montgomery, yep. this is a guy who in 19 starts has not thrown 100 pitches yet this season. 
And Herman, obviously, his one start against the Astros, three innings, five earned, 58 pitches, got shelled. So mm-hmm. I don't see really these guys, you know, even if they stretch it out and one of them, maybe even both go six innings, although I doubt both of them are going to go six strong. It's like, that's the max, right? Montgomery has only gone past the sixth inning four times and he's only completed seven twice. But when he's done that, he's done that in under 100 pitches, right? This Mets lineup, they make guys work. Look at that Braves series. Tyler and I talked about it a ton. No Braves pitcher. And they ran out their two best guys, plus Charlie Morton, who you can argue had been maybe their hottest guy going into that. No Braves pitcher went deeper than five innings. You know, Brandon Nimmo worked Spencer Strider, first AB of the game, 10 pitches. I mean, come on. I see the smile on your face. Like, Nimmo's been doing it since he's been in the bigs. Like, how much fun is it? It's incredible. I, I love watching his ABs. I, yeah. To me, the hardest thing in the world was to foul off pitches, to stay alive. Like I was an A swing guy. I didn't want to put a B swing, C swing on a ball, foul it off. I wanted to put my A swing on it. If I hit it, great. If I didn't, oh, well, I live to fight another day or I get him next time. But just to watch him do what he does, man, he has a great you know, obviously he understands the zone so well. He knows where he does damage. And when he has to, when he has to fight, when he has to battle, when he has to make somebody work and he knows it, he can go up there and just be an absolute pain in the ass. And I love it. I love it. And you you put, you pair him with Luis Guillorme towards the bottom of the lineup. He does it too. It's yeah. like you have two guys who can put together 10 pitch ABs every time they go up there. As a pitcher, you're looking to get, 10 to 15 pitches per inning, and these guys can do it to you in one AB, that's that's struggle bus. And Gourme will come up with a knock. Nimmo will take his walk. So you're not even getting outs when you have these 10, 15 pitch ABs against these guys. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I was going to mention Guillaume, man. It's like when you have one guy like that on a team, you're lucky. When you have two, it's borderline unheard of. And so that's why the key for this is just get to the pen. Tyler, you mentioned it. No Michael King out for the year, you know. Clay Holmes has even come back down to earth a little bit. The Cincinnati Reds of all teams touched him up not too long ago. Chapman can't buy a strike. Miguel Castro was inconsistent. Now I believe he's hurt, won't even pitch. So the Yankees bullpen really struggling at the moment coming Mm -hmm. into the series. And with the two starters they're running out and the lack of depth that those guys provide, this is the perfect opportunity for the Mets. I think they'll sacrifice two out of three against San Diego to run their two best workhorses out there for the Subway Series. Yeah, and uh, one more thing that I want to add was, one, when looking at Monty, and this is going to be really key because, look, the Mets, they have those guys in the lot that can grind out at-bats, as you mentioned, and Nimmo Gourmet, and let's not forget McNeil. I think McNeil probably impresses me the most at times, just his ability to know that he basically has to do such a lousy swing just to stay fighting along until he gets to either that perfect pitch or just something that he can maybe take down the first baseline, hit it for opposite field. And the Yankees, while, yes, they have been better with their contact this year, they're still very much a swing and miss team. And I'm curious to see what their offense is going to look like, especially in the game that Jordan Montgomery pitches because Montgomery's been getting DeGrom type treatment he's in 19 starts this year and only has three measly wins i don't know what it is but for whatever reason this guy unfortunately for his sake has not gotten consistent run support from his yanks so i'm very curious to see if that's going to continue that trend or things are going to change in this matchup yeah we'll see man i just i I think it's going to be tough for him to get a win in this one because like i mentioned he doesn't go that deep into games and when you look at the two starters taiwan he to me is the biggest all-star snub among starting pitchers in the national league he's You know, I I always point to it, Anthony, if you exclude the Phillies game at Citizens Bank Park, his third start of the year, fresh off the injured list, take that game out of the equation. He's pitched to a 2-0-5 ERA on the year. 
I mean, it's a better first half than we saw even out of him last year when yeah. he actually was an all-star. So yeah. I think, you know, Montgomery, if he's looking for a win, I don't think it's going to happen in this game. Tyler, we're going to bounce over to you. We're going to get into trade talks in a minute. I know you're the guy with the sources, a lot of rumors, of course. But Anthony, before we wrap up the Subway Series, talk, I mean, as a guy who played in this three years in a row, yeah. you know, you always hear the guys out there, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, you, you read so much about it. You hear about it. It's great to be a part of it. What does it really mean? When you're wearing the blue and orange and the Yankees come into town and, you know, you know, maybe 40, 45 percent of City Field's going to be cheering for the other team. And, you know, just like myself, how much do you really hate that team in the Bronx when they come into your field? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. My my distaste for the Yankees comes more from my fandom than it even did when, you know, when I was playing. I, I grew up. Funny enough, even though I was in Pennsylvania, I grew up an Oakland A's fan. They knocked my A's out like two or three years in a row. We had 2-0, wow. 3-0 leads on them. They just kept knocking us out. It was crazy. I was just losing my mind. But besides that, you know, as a Met, you get into this situation where you, you're playing your, your crosstown rival. It's so much fun because realistically, it's not about the adrenaline that you feel or any hatred. I can feel the fans. We can feel the energy in the city. Like, I, you go for a walk that, you know, during that week, you take your family out, take the dog out. My wife and I would take our dog for a walk, whatever, in the city. And you just, you'd get so many Mets fans. Hey, they got to beat the Yankees. It's it just, you'd hear it all the time. And it's just, it's so fun. Like that, it just creates an energy. You feel it in the clubhouse. You feel it out there on the field, especially. These games are always packed. It's always a great time. So realistically, to me, that's where it came from. It wasn't necessarily, oh, it's the Yankees. I want to win. I want bragging rights. It was more like, I hear the fans and I want to give them bragging rights. Like I want them to have, I want my Mets fans to have bragging rights over these Yankees fans. So that's where it came from for me. And it was awesome. It's just a fun time in the city uh, to be a part of it as a player, as a fan. It's really fun to see. And it, it, it is, I think one of those times in sports where you don't see it very often, you know, you don't get to see, um, you know, this cross, uh, the, Justin, right? And we get to see it every year now, but we didn't used to. And that's what makes it so special. They only get to play a couple games a year, but it's so much fun. And, and to me, it, it meant a lot, you know, winning these games. It, it's definitely one of the more important regular season games. Outside of that, it cost me a lot of money to have my family come to these games because you got to pay for the tickets and they're so insanely priced. Really? <laughs> well, players wouldn't get, for this, players wouldn't get freebies? Oh, no, no. We get like the same pricing as fans and, and where the family section sits. They're not cheap. So like in you're like, making uh, like half a mil, though, it's not like I mean, when, you're on a Scherzer deal. That's hey, it. hey, when when doesn't matter. OK, <laughs> when I, first of all, I'm paying New York taxes on that. So <laughs> really good with all that stuff. No, but, I'm saying it's not like you were making 30 mil like that. That adds. Up no, I know it, it, it did. It, it, it hurt a little bit like the Reds come to town 50 bucks. OK, honey, come to the yeah. game. The Yankees come over. $265. I'm like, no, I'm not like, why, why do I have to spend that much for my wife to come Babe, watch me play? That's insane. Home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing, man. I absolutely love it. By the way, just a funny side note, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you when we were working on having you on the, uh, on the show, I used to work for the Mets from 2015 to 2019. I was in the fan, the guest experience uh, department and the VP of guest experience at city field. His name's Chris Brown. He's an amazing guy. I don't know if you know him, but Brownie, like you, is from Pennsylvania and also a huge Oakland A's fan. Grew up at least an Oakland A's fan. Now, obviously, you know, bigger Mets fan than anyone else in the world. But that's a it's a really funny connection there. I mean, is it 
like ancestral because the A's used we had a to pipeline. The- we had a pipeline. I I don't know what it was. <laughs> I I just I grew up in the Philly area listening to Philly fans boo their team, yeah. hate on their team, and I as a kid I was like I don't understand this. You guys are cheering them, you're booing them. They're in the World Series. Like what what's going on here, guys? I don't I don't get it. And so I just said, I'm just going to pick the team that's the best right now, which in the late 80s, early 90s was the A's. And I was just like, yeah, my team's better than yours. Ha, take that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Tyler, Let's uh, before we wrap it up, man, let's get into the latest trade talks. You're, you're the man with the sources, the man with the rumors. So what is the latest? Yeah, there's a lot. So I'm really curious to see what both your guys' takes are on this because I've been, you know, one of the biggest things that I do on my YouTube channel is I'm just talking endlessly about any and every rumor and news out there. You know, that's something that I I have a lot of enjoyment interacting with many thousands upon thousands of Mets fans out there to discuss. And there's been a lot, you know, we're a week away from the trade deadline right now. And there's been a lot of players that you'd imagine that the Mets have shown interest in now, even though that, yes, they have acquired Daniel Vogel back. While I don't think that anything is going to change, I am not going to lie, there has been at least preliminary discussions if he will actually be dealt again, flipped somewhere else. So I don't think that's going to happen, but that is something that has been out there. What we do know, however, is that the Mets did put in a trade package type offer for Josh Bell and a reliever from the Washington Nationals. But according to today's latest reports, it looks like that the Mets and Nationals, nothing's going to happen. Mike Rizzo looks like he's staying a little stubborn, doesn't want to do anything with the Mets unless the Mets have to give them a little bit more than kind of what they want to do as like an in-division type tax. The Mets don't want to do that, especially with a rival. So while Josh Bell would be great for the Mets and they would love him on the team, it doesn't look like the Mets are the favorites right there. So what are the Mets favorites for at this juncture, right? Well, they've shown a lot of heavy interest as of late and not just David Robertson, who has that long connection with Billy Epler. Of course, Billy helped draft Robertson during their time in the Yanks when he was the um, assistant GM to Brian Cashman in his long time in the Bronx, but also Wilson Contreras. And I want to know your thoughts on Wilson, Anthony, you know, as a former catcher yourself, what are your thoughts on Contreras? And really, even though he doesn't seem like he's a guarantee to land with the Mets, They do have a lot of heavy interest in him, but because his price is so high, even as a rental, the big bat right now that the Mets over the past 12 to 24 hours are zoning in on is Trey Mancini from the Baltimore Orioles. Now, it makes a lot of sense for the Mets to land Mancini and potentially a reliever from there. There's been Jorge Lopez's name thrown out there. There's been Dylan Tate, even Perez, who I believe is a southpaw. They have a bunch of bullpen options, and Mancini brings that big bat he kills left-hand starters, especially with around a 290 average and an 850 OPS. So if you want to do that DH platoon, there's no denying that going from a Dom Smith and a J.D. Davis to potentially a Daniel Vogelback, a Trey Mancini type is definitely going to be an upgrade for this Mets team and gives him versatility playing. He can, of course, play in right, first, third, whatever they need him to do, mainly DH. But the fact that he has that versatility is why I think the Mets like him so much. Buck, of course, managing for a couple of years in Baltimore. But Buck has utilized more than anything trying to get everyone to get playing time. You know, the Mets are the oldest team in baseball this year. It's important for guys to stay healthy. Mark Cannon on average is playing every two or three games. So you bring Mancini in. That gives you potential if you want to put him in the corner outfield. Then you can have Volga back at DH. And it also potentially gives the Mets to land a one more bat, maybe to a lesser degree, like a former Met and Brandon Drury or something along those lines. So that's where all the latest on the rumors right now. It seems like the Mets may very well find themselves landing another bat and or reliever prior to the trade deadline. So, Anthony, I want to know, starting with Contreras, what's your thoughts on him, and how would he feel if he potentially landed in Queens at the right price? Yeah, I think it would definitely take the right price because right now I'm 
sure the Cubs are going to be asking a lot for him. Offensive production from catchers just isn't there right now. There's mm-hmm. not many of them. And so getting a guy like him who has the experience that he does in the postseason, he's won a World Series, he's been there several times with the Cubs, uh, and this type of season that he's been putting together, I, I can't imagine what they're asking right now. I'm sure it's very high. Uh, the one thing I will say, look, the Mets signed on with James McCann long-term. And I was, you know, they still got two more years with him. I was a fan of his before that, before they signed for him. Um, I thought he was a great fit. I thought he was an, I, I, Real Muto has kind of been with the Phillies what I thought he would be in that he's been good. Like, he's good defensively, but offensively, he's not what people thought he was going to be. He's not, he doesn't have an OPS of 850, 900. He's 750. Like, you know, he puts... Decent average up there, a couple of home runs, but he's not doing much for them offensively. It's really about what he's doing for them defensively, and that's great. McCann brings that. Nito brings that. Offensively, they're missing something, and I think when you look at the amount of spots that they have available to put offensive pieces in, the catcher has to stick out like a sore thumb. DH and catcher, those are the two worst offensive positions on this team right now, so I think you got to focus there, and I think that could be a nice fit for them because he is a rental. Hey, James, you've been hurt all year. We got you for two more years. We're going to bring Wilson in. We're going to let him play a little bit. We're going to let him hit. Maybe he DHs every once in a while, whatever you want to do, and then now you find a way to work it out with them because realistically, I think McCann and Nito have done a really good job with this pitching staff and you don't want to lose that. So that's a tough thing to think about, but I still think bringing Wilson Contreras in could be a really good move for this Mets team. Um, You know, if we want to get into the Trey Mancini thing, look, this guy, everything he's overcome in his career, everything he's done, he's a fantastic player, love the personality, love the person that he is, the clubhouse guy that he is, um, the person he is in the community, all the things he does. I love his fit with the Mets. Um, I think that you nailed it on your head with a little bit of versatility that he brings. I think that's the biggest thing. Can play some outfield, can play some first base, can DH. It's interesting because you're getting a lot of roster spots with guys that you start to think of Mets teams in the past where, oh, this guy was you know pretty much a first baseman or DH, a first baseman or DH. They're starting to accumulate more of those guys again, and that can kind of drive me a little bit nuts. But they have the athleticism in other places – and they've stayed healthy. Now, can they continue to stay healthy? That's the big thing. But I do like, uh, you know, either of those moves would be great. It's realistically how many great players can you fit on one roster? It's really hard to do. So we'll see what the front office decides on this one. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you look at the guys that the Mets are looking at right now, Contreras is actually one, especially given the likely asking price, that I could do without. I mean, I know that, you know, like you mentioned, Anthony, catchers who hit right now are far and few between in the league. But, you know, catcher, that was always a position when, you know, when I was on the bump, I didn't care if the catcher was going to give me any offense, if he was going to give me any run support. I got seven other guys that can do that. I want a guy who's going to frame for me, a guy who's going to call a good game, a guy who I'm in sync with. You know, I wanted the same guy catching me every time I was out there. And I feel like right now with McCann and Nito, obviously McCann's hurt. And so reinforcements could be needed. But when they're both out there, I can live with the rest of this lineup, especially if we add a Mancini. I can live with the catcher batting ninth and, and, you know, not being much of an offensive threat. I, unfortunately, McCann went down right after he seemed to be getting the hang of things at the plate. Cincinnati had a big late hit in that comeback win. Then he uh, put one over the fence back at City Field after that. Um, but, you know, personally, I, I can do without Contreras. Robertson is a guy I want. I also think he alone would be a little cheaper than obviously a Contreras package. But for me, it's Mancini, probably my top realistic option. And then because, you know, you mentioned the first base DH thing. Prior to Vogelback, 
I was all in on Josh Bell. To me, it's like he was far and away my favorite, especially because he's hitting 290 or better from both sides of the dish. So I love that versatility on a team that struggles hitting off lefties. That's part of the reason I wasn't the most thrilled with the Vogelback deal because we can't hit lefties and we didn't really improve that at all. Um, but, you know, Bell, it seems like Mike Rizzo's just still uh, still sour about what we did to him the second half of 2015. So I don't know <laughs> if we're going to get Josh Bell. But Mancini seems like the guy and him and Buck have the chemistry. I- I'm all for it at this point. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the options the Mets have right now, this is what's so important. You know, when we look at, for example, last trade deadline for the Mets, right? They had, they're going all in, they're weighing a bunch of options, but you could tell that once they realized that some guys were in a reality, they went with Baez, they went with Williams, and they coughed up more than they wanted to prospect-wise by giving up PCA. And that's something that the Mets do not want to do at this year's trade deadline under Billy Epler this time, right? They're really trying to be strategic about building this farm they have the number one ranked draft in MLB pipeline they're killing it every single year of the past decade regardless of who's handling things in the front office it feels like so they're building this prospect pool great in a short period of time but even while they're doing that this is not a Mets team that should be in a position in my opinion in the opinions of many of giving up top prospects for quite literally rentals that's exactly why the Mets are going after these guys knowing that their value should only be to a certain degree and hey if they're going to give have to give up a top one top 10 guy you know towards the latter half of the top 10 or in the couple in the 15 they will bite the bullet as long as they're not giving up say you know a direct number five for say you know let's do an example Contreras you're going to give up a top five prospect again do the Mets want to do that they don't right now so I understand the mindset and you also have to evaluate going forward right we saw the Juan Soto sweepstakes regardless of what happens to him you look at Shohei Otani and others. If these guys are available and the Mets do have a shot for, those are guys where you could rightfully argue. If you're going to unload the farm, that's the time to do it with guys that are controllable and can really take your team over the edge, in my opinion, you know, in the years going forward. So when evaluating things right now, there's select guys, DHYs. The Mets basically like them all. They even really like J.D. Martinez as well from Red Sox team that's doing their best job on having no chance of playoffs post-All-Star break, especially. I mean, how, how many touchdowns have they given up against the Blue Jays? I don't even know at this juncture. But what I do know is that J.D. Martinez is a rental. Bloom loves Dom Smith, it would seem. I know that there have been connections going back like easily throughout the majority of the season. I could see Dom potentially going to Boston if a deal happens. However, because the Red Sox are still teetering as to the decision that they want to make, I think the Mets are making sure that they have plans A through Z figured out, but also making sure that they aren't reliant on a team that's really trying to wait to the last second to buy or sell. Because if they do that, maybe they say go all in on JD as a hypothetical right now. They miss out on Mancini. They miss out on Bell. They maybe even miss out on Contreras and Crone. If they do all that, they want J.D. Martinez, and they say, hey, we're going to stand pat, then you look and all your options are gone. So it's really important for them to jump on the opportunities they currently have and not really wait too long, understanding the market. And I think Billy's doing a great job of that. I know Mets fans get impatient, especially when the lack of offense is surely there, but I'm confident that they're going to get the job done, and I'm damn excited to see what they're going to do. Me too, man. We've got two more episodes before that August 2nd trade deadline reaches. So more trade discussion, more rumors, more hypotheticals will be tossed out there. Anthony, it was a blast having you on your first uh, your first episode of Believe in Queens with us, man. Going to put you on the spot before we wrap this up. You mentioned, you know, we talked a lot about the pitching matchups, Walker, Scherzer. You mentioned that Alonzo has been responsible for the bulk of the pop in this lineup. Which Met, outside of those three, do you look for to have the biggest Subway Series? Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Okay. Uh, Montgomery, Herman. I'm going to go with, 
Look, I really I love this guy when they when they brought him over. I early in the actually it wasn't even the offseason yet. I think it was October. I said that Mark Canna would be a fantastic fit for this team. Uh, he has been. He's been great. He's been, you know, patrolling the outfield. He's stayed reasonably healthy when he's been in there. He's produced, uh, you know, he's not hitting homers like you would like. And I think that's something they expect a little bit more of. But I look to him. I really have liked what he's brought in the middle of that lineup for the most part. And uh, I look to him. I think he'll have a nice series. He does really well against lefties. Uh, I'm sure he'll have a, a nice game against Jordan Montgomery. And Herman. I mean, look, if he's in there for both games, I really like Kenya as he, I guess, <laughs> apparently pronounces it uh, on, on ESPN Baseball uh, yesterday. But, uh, no, I really like what he brings. I think he'll have a really nice subway series. He's my guy. He's, he would be my, my pick to click, if you will, outside of the, the big names. I love it, man. Did you know that he's six for nine off of Domingo Herman in his career? Because obviously it's lefties, but six for nine off Herman. I it I didn't it doesn't surprise me because I know he hits the fastball well, and Herman is typically that fastball changeup type of a guy. And can I, I mean, if you give him a fastball middle, middle in, this dude can turn on it in a heartbeat and hit it a long way. I love the way he swings. Uh, like I said, I just love the intangibles. I, I thought he was a great fit for this team uh, before they got him, and I was very happy when they did. Yeah, and Canna's been- even. I'm sorry to cut you off, Joe. I just yeah. want to say Canna's even an RBI like at over every other game against the Yanks. He has 16 and 28 games against them. So that was definitely a good pick. When he said Canna, I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense actually because all of his time with the Oakland A's playing against the Yanks in the AL, I like that matchup for sure. Yeah, he's been one of the most underrated, consistent parts of this team all year. Hey, yes. before we wrap it up, Anthony, where can everyone find you outside of believing Queens? Uh, I've been on MLB Network uh, a lot lately doing MLB Central, MLB Tonight, uh, whether it's an off base here and there, but uh, really enjoying my time there. And, and it's been it's been good. So you can catch me on MLB Network most days. It depends. They throw me on sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> I'm on. Sometimes I'm not. I don't even know, but it works. They hit you with the Rajay Davis sometimes. Just get in an Uber, come hey. to the studio. <laughs> That's what I did this morning. Ubered <laughs> over, got it done, came home. It's a good day. Love it. Love it. Catch him on socials too. He's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. Tyler, where can everyone find you? Um, you can find me on the YouTube channel for everyone watching the pod visually at WordyNYM. Check me out on Twitter at WordyNYM as well. Also, guys, please don't hesitate for making sure to hit that like and subscribe on here on YouTube, making sure you rate, review, wherever you get your podcast for the audio version. Again, this was only episode eight, so we have so much more in store here with Anthony and just buckle up. It's going to be an absolute blast. And make sure you catch me Thursdays, my weekly national radio show over on Sports Map Radio, Serralo Sports Talk, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. Don't miss it. Got a big guest lined up this week. You're going to want to watch it. Catch me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo and on Instagram at Joe Serralo. Just today, threw up some behind the scenes footage from Big Poppy, David Ortiz's Hall of Fame party last week out here in LA. So make sure you go follow me for that footage for daily best bets and much, much more for episode eight of Believe in Queens, and for Anthony Recker and Tyler Ward, I'm Joe Serralo. Guys, thanks for tuning in, LFGM. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.